Hey, Shantanu, good to see you. Great to have you on the show. Great to be here, Ricky. Thanks for having me. Awesome, mate. Hey, Shantanu, before we kick off, tell us how you got into tech. Fair enough. In fact, my journey into tech is quite interesting, but I, w- I wouldn't say it's unique necessarily. So I was a management consultant back in the day, and I actually was in San Francisco on a six-month secondment or transfer within the company. And this is back when Uber was a startup, right? And I remember working for a private equity company. I won't name names, but we basically helped them do a due diligence on Uber. We might or might not have suggested that they actually invest there. And I remember spending six months there working in a lot of, a lot of companies we touched on, including companies like Square, and they were really setting up as well. So I feel like it really got me interested in the tech scene. And again, I had been in the traditional management consulting where you go in, work across different mm-hmm. industries, different geographies. You might have different functional pieces you work on. And I realized that tech and I would even say sales were the two things which really interested me. If I think about all the projects I worked on then, and then I just started looking. And I was, I was based back in India at the time with these trips over. And somehow the match of entry to tech was also my entry into Europe, really. But I moved over to Ireland, a small country, which is not part of the UK. I'll remind your listeners. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I moved into tech with LinkedIn at the time. Uh, I joined sales operations, which was pretty much a good mix of where my skill sets mm-hmm. lay at the time as well as getting into tech. And yeah, long story short, I've been in tech and revenue operations under the broader umbrella for the last eight years. Awesome. And Dublin's become quite a hub, obviously, with all the tech and everything that's gone on in Europe. Um, Absolutely. In fact, Dublin yeah. is, I would almost call it the Silicon Valley of Europe now. In fact, most tech companies, when they're looking to expand, well, and again, most tech companies, let's say, which are headquartered in the US, start looking at Europe, Middle East, Africa, and then APAC is the next bet. Yeah. APAC, you guys are obviously very aware of. They either go to Sydney or Singapore. In the MIA, they either look at London, Dublin, or Amsterdam. And in fact, most mm. companies I've been looking at are now probably considering lum- Dublin as number one. So it's quite yeah. a big burgeoning tech scene here. Absolutely. And then what about RevOps? Does, RevOps is still relatively new when you think mm-hmm. about it. I think you, yes. you've been part of larger companies. But our audience and people that we speak to nowadays, mostly Shantanu, early stage founders, can you give us a definition of what you think RevOps really is? That is fair. And the good thing, and I'll just qualify, Ricky, there is, I've obviously been in large companies, but I've also luckily been in a familiar ARR at one point as well, which is slightly smaller. And I think RevOps, to be perfectly honest, it, the overarching vision and mission, if I think about it, whether it's a small company or a large company, would be the same because basically you're creating a team or a function to really design and power the go-to-market engine. That's what I would think about it, whether it's your, and, and again, every company, whether it's a PLG company, a sales-led company, you do have, let's say, a go-to-market motion and engine. How do you build that? How do you design that? And the best way to think about it in my humble opinion is, if you think about the customer life cycle, right? You have everything from the time you have an account in your CRM, if you have a CRM, to hopefully becoming a lead, an opportunity, you go through the new business funnel, you actually manage the deal, hopefully win the deal, have a happy customer who's then getting a lot of value from, think about the entire value chain. 
And literally below that, everything that happens from strategy to process to systems to actually data, all of that to me has to be designed and managed by a team of people or a person, depending on the company and the size of the company, but really thinking just about optimizing that value chain for the for the company in terms of your customers, as well as at the same time, what's the underlying talent life cycle or talent value chain across that. And that to me is a very right. simplistic, but holistic definition of RevOps. That's, I find that super interesting. A lot of people we talk to, they, they see RevOps as in reality, metrics driven, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, how are you going to drive numbers through through a chain, and and who's going to be in charge and own said numbers? Mm -hmm. Whereas you're talking more holistically about how mechanically you're actually going to drive that go to market machine, and when people should be shifting up and down that machine, which I think is a lot more value than I think where some companies are looking at RevOps. Spot on, Sean. And I think the way I'm almost putting the I don't know if you want to use the phrase, putting the cart before the horse, but often people think about it's always, oh, is it about the data? Is it about the systems? No, but actually, unless you define what you're solving for, there's no point you can, you can get. And again, now we live in a world where there's probably infinite data we want to swim in. And I'm imagining Scrooge McDuck from the DuckTales cartoon, if you remember, there <laughs> was data and you can literally swim through it. But what are the really two or three metrics that you need? And what are you solving for? The three metrics that are, let's say, a $2 million company needs might be the same as a $100 million company sometimes, mm -hmm. but it depends on their application. And that's why I love what you said, Sean, about it's defining the entire process, defining your, I want to call it your blueprint. And in fact, my advice to anyone who's hiring someone for RevOps or even someone who's just joined RevOps for the first time in a new company, is literally define that blueprint, design what that is, and then you start creating waves of what do you need from a process? What do you need from a system as well as data perspective. And in fact, I might add a new layer of AI in the new world on that same diagram. Yeah. 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 We'll obviously come back to AI. Shanta, you touched on some really good points. I guess going back to the early stage mindset, mm -hmm. then if I was a founder or if I was a revenue leader in that business and I've got a couple of members who are assigned to chasing new logos, I've got some sort of a CS team, mm -hmm. obviously there's marketing team sitting there. At what point should I start to go, now is the time I should invest in RevOps? Because I think that's the biggest challenge for most of these companies is that a lot of the times it's just it's handed over or handball to admin teams or someone in sales right. ends up doing it. But to your point, when should they start designing this? I'm, I'm a big fan of having RevOps come in as early as possible. And I'll go into why and I'll tell mm. you my sense of how early it could be. The reason I'd say why is... I've been in a couple of companies where I've used the word tech or the phrase tech debt or technical debt in terms mm -hmm. of what's been set up, whether it's the way the CRM has been orchestrated or even a band-aid approach on getting things put together. The earlier you are in that process and the earlier you get someone who's really dedicated to that piece on just making sure you're able to define and create something which is scalable, it'll help you in the long run. And there's no clear definition for how early is early. Mm -hmm. The only thing I'll add is there's a certain stage, let's say, you start off a company, there's a few of you, there's one person who's doing sales, you then add, as you rightly said, you add a couple of, let's say, AEs, you add someone for doing customer success. The person who was a one-person sales band is now almost like a sales leader, a revenue leader. The moment they start feeling that there is a lot of time pressure and being able to go beyond the customer management and the team management aspect, 
because all of these other pieces, which is the process, the system, the the design, the data, the enablement around it, mm. if they are getting left behind, that's when you need someone to come in. And it's a trade-off which I would assume that, for the lack of a better word, chief revenue officer or head of sales needs to have initially in, in conversation with the CEO even about what time do I need to spend on creating the foundations or running the engine mm. versus actually being front-facing. But that's... It's very, one of the questions that I have that I'll get to, we always talk of building a machine, right? Mm-hmm. To, to anyone I talk to early stage founders, building a machine, build something that's replicatable, something you understand, there's something you have metrics against. And then the question is always who builds those components, right? And so when you think about revenue leaders coming in and marketing leaders coming in, is your view that at that time when you're ready to start transitioning from founder-led sales and founder-led marketing into a, a more replicatable structure, mm-hmm. I guess what I would say a majority of the time is that you'd bring in a sales leader or a sales leader will grow up through it and they will start putting in like the, the bits and pieces of what would be your repayable scale. It may actually be the time where you bring in someone who specializes in just looking at the whole piece from marketing to, to customer journey yep. and goes, let's figure out what you're doing marketing. What's working for you? What's repeatable? How does that work? Hey, sales, what is repeatable? What's working? Looks at that. Hey, customer system, what's and then you map that out you put metrics around it and instead of it being a singular entity who's going sales is like this because this is what i say and marketing is like this and then you get that budding head it's someone right. outside of that cycle is was that a fair yeah you know, that's a very outcome. fair summary sean and, and the reason i bring that up is because someone who's within the marketing or within the sales org at that point probably has a, again at a company that size and scale there's a hundred mm-hmm. a list of hundred things which are not getting done on top of that, yeah. to actually add this entire piece of building, it almost requires a different. In fact, I probably have a book called Beatwork back here. It yeah, requires a lot of beatwork to get yeah. that set up. And I know it, there's so many good things in that book about making time blocks and how do you control that time, to, or, or just your the amount of effort and almost pockets of time that are required in 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 tranches, and that you might not get if you are a, exactly to your point a sales leader or a marketing leader who's just gone through the found, founder-led sales material and just taken over. So mm-hmm. that's that's the challenge at that point. I just made myself CEO, then hired people, and then I got all the talent needed. Delegation. Delegation. Right? Right. So Shantanu, I think you've spoken about the, the importance of cross-functional collaboration when it comes mm-hmm. to RevOps. Mm-hmm. Um, two years ago, when RevOps was quite sexy, and I'm not suggesting that it's still not sexy, but when it was really taken off, I felt... Two, three years ago, it naturally just fitted in revenue teams. So mm-hmm. under CRO umbrella. As the time has shifted and macroeconomic conditions have changed, we've been talking to a bunch of people where like in some businesses, they'll be sitting under CFO. Some are trialing it under COO. In your opinion, mm. where should it be sitting and why? Good question. I'm going to give you a very consulting answer starting with it depends. <laughs> <laughs> And the, reason I, and, the, and the reason is I'll start with that is because I do believe it depends a lot on, actually depends on two factors and I'll go into the yeah. role thing. So the number one important thing exactly to your point is having a very unbiased view, which is grounded on data and reality and not with motives to enable one mm. team over another. I think that's the first piece in my head. The second thing also, it's very important for this role to be housed in an org where the CXO, and we'll, we'll get to who the X is, but whoever the CXO is, is actually quite comfortable with that entire piece. It has to be 
if let's say you're hiring a, and depending on the early company, you might be hiring not a very senior RevOps leader. You might be hiring a, sure. a manager or someone who's got a bit of technical proficiency on managing your CRM, but also understands data, has this, ideally someone who's able to weave a story together, think about that entire blueprint. But they do need a lot of guidance from the CXO and they need that CXO to be able to not just think about their longer term challenges, but also aid them and even give them feedback. To me, there are different companies where I've seen this work well, where the CXO, who's a CRO even, or a chief revenue officer, and I'm talking about there are companies where CROs are basically CSOs, there are companies where CROs could have been ex-CMOs in that chief revenue officer, as long as someone who is quite comfortable with thinking about data and the process and so on and having a very strong viewpoint on it. I think that's worked well as well. Yeah. In, in my opinion, I've always been mm. part of that or in, in recent time. I've also seen the CFO piece work really well. The only challenge of the CFO piece, where the CFO in, in that other third layer, the CFO probably gets a lot of the data, and, and, but the CFO is not as close to the customer quite often. For the right CFO who's thinking customer first, I think it's a good mix. So I think that's where I would bring mm -hmm. that in. Third role, I've seen this work decently with is the COO as well. Mm. Now, the chief operating officer, depending on the company, means different things. In some companies, chief operating officer might have commercial functions roll up under it. So almost like a, yeah, it's another phrase for the chief revenue officer, essentially. Mm. There's some companies where COO is more HR facilities, operations, in some case more, depending on the role. And, and again, I'd go back to who the person mm. is. Yeah. And I do think this is where the CEO needs to take that call because they probably know their CXOs the best and each company, depending on where they believe they can get unbiased and very customer focused, mm -hmm. but data driven value from it. I think that's where they need to decide that. I really well answered. And I think we'll just say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick it up to CEO and then let them make the call. Right? I, I, I agree Absolutely. with that. That's how um, they get paid the big bucks. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I've been there. I've been there. I get how hard it is. <laughs> exactly. Shantanu, always quite keen to understand the people that we get on the show as to what are their typical day or a week looks mm -hmm. like. So for Shantanu at Gong, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what does that mean? Great. And as you've probably got so far, I, I tend to think in frameworks and buckets. Yeah. So the way I almost define the RevOps world, there's all these different layers I talked about, but at a very high level, there are two core pieces you're working on. And one is, let's say, the big bets or the big rocks that you're working on, which is more impactful, longer term. You're thinking about, a, let's say, a 30,000 feet view of even what's working for your go-to-market team. And then there's the actual, what I call, keep the lights on, the tactical three feet deep yeah. piece on just going in whether it's books are broken or somebody needs a quota challenge or you need to design a spiff for this week, right? I would say on average, I would say I spend maybe, and this is say 50% of my time gets split between these two buckets and just defining pieces you're working on the big bets and 50% off that on, on, on the keeping the lights on. The remaining half of my time is pretty much spent on people. And I think this is where I think a lot of folks who look at RevOps sometimes get surprised is while the majority of the of the folks who move into RevOps are very strong left-brained data-driven people you need to spend a lot of time on the right brain side working with people driving driving change getting people to move influencing influencing people without authority really right and I think that to me takes a lot of time and and 
and a lot of effort in a structured way as well. So depending on the team, and again, from, from me, I would say that people aspect, there's a part around managing my team and helping them mm. think about and then talk about the operations team there. But then there's also the entire part about working with stakeholders. And I think the most successful RevOps people I've seen spend a lot of time on thinking about themselves as a very strong business partner to whoever the go-to-market leader is they're working with. That could be in marketing and sales and customer success altogether. I think that's where I spend a lot of time. The other piece of that, because I'm at Gong, I also tend to spend, and I now realize the math is completely broken, but another, <laughs> probably beyond the 100%, which probably explains a lot. That's strong in a nutshell, right? Oh, you yeah, yeah. and, and because I'm at Gong, I spend a lot of time with our product teams because one of the reasons I actually joined Gong was the fact that Gong was almost operating systems for revenue operation, if I think about that. So mm-hmm. that's where I spend a lot of time just connecting with the product team and giving them feedback on our product as well. So that's, I would not have in a, another SaaS company, not with the same product. I might not have spent that time with product, but the rest would be within the same. Quite keen to understand the bit, bit more. So when you say you speak to product teams, so what kind of details or what kind of data are you taking back to the product team? Is it the usage and how your customers are using your product or how much are they using or what kind of, tell us Fair. a bit more. Very good question, Derek. So I think I'll, I'll almost make it into two parts. One is literally what I call closing the loop or the inner loop in terms of getting customer feedback or insights. I think, and even if it was not at Gong, one of the most useful data points that RevOps can take back to product is your win-loss data, which is when are you winning? Why are you winning? When are you losing? Why are you losing? So especially to the product-involved component and trying to take that feedback back to the product team. But the second part, which I spend a lot of time on, on product is literally being what I might call myself as patient zero, actually customer zero is probably a better word. And literally if I were buying Gong, how would I implement it? And this would be relevant for any, any company which has a go-to-market buyer. It'd be great to have, think of their RevOps team as their first buyer really, so that they can Mm. start testing it out internally. So I just. Whether we talk That's, about the AI yeah. piece, I would test it out and give them an idea. I like that idea of taking that win-loss data and being able to drive that through back to product. But how do you deal with the catch-all clauses of unknown or don't know what they said? And then the thing I always struggled with when you looked at that data is you'd have, we lost these four deals because of X. But we lost these 85 deals because of, I don't know. Absolutely. And, I think, and this is where I, I think, and I, and I completely agree with you. There's, a, there's an element of how do you get patterns without having noise in, the, in those patterns because quite often people want to report what they like. And this is where I think in the new world, especially with AI and sales, you can actually depend on what the customers have told you and use AI to, to define that. In fact, I, I think I should do this exercise actually, which if you look at the CRM for lost reasons, and that's typically a human being goes in and puts, this is why I lost the deal. Yes. Always because of pricing or competition, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, or product. The, or product. Or product, yeah. exactly. And then if you combine that with, I think what you can get from interactions, and this is where you've probably seen our CEO go in and talk about how yeah, he's yeah. AI as well. And, and a lot of our employees are going in and talking about it. But you can literally use AI and information from the interactions because now we're, we're recording all the conversations. We're recording mm-hmm. emails. Everything is generating this vast treasure to trove of data, which can now be gone in and, and, and inspected at a deal level. So using that, we'll be getting a little bit more nuanced and scientific. And I think most 
RevOps people that I've been talking to have been using more of that versus the self-reported loss reasons. I thought I said that up really nicely for you to do a gong sales fish. <laughs> jokes aside, yeah. it's actually a really good point. Now that we have AI do that, like one of my big frustrations as a CEO was if you try to use that data inside Salesforce, yes. it is basically whatever a salesperson put in there. And it was 95% of the time inaccurate. Or it was unknown or you didn't know it was biased. Yeah. And with things like Gong, et cetera, you can now have AI driving and saying, they did say five times that the product didn't work. Okay, so it is a product issue and you can take that feedback back. I think that's actually a super powerful thing that RevOps can do inside a product that I don't know if enough companies are actually looking at or using. And same for from a pure sales function, right? Understanding mm-hmm. why people aren't buying. I don't know if we spend enough time looking at that, especially when you're small. Right? So it's a hard thing to... Be able to have yeah. self-reflection time to be like, oh, I had 10 deals. I thought I was going to land five of them. Only two of them landed. Why? Because that usually is- onto the next month, we're like, I need to get 10 deals. That is fair, Sean. And I think the challenge, and again, and, and when you were, so you were, you had enough data to actually get statistical significant, statistically significant information. I think quite a few of the early stage startups probably struggle because they don't have enough volume of data. And I think at that mm-hmm. point, it's, being able to go deep into each of those to even get those signals, I think is going to be crucial. Shandu, coming back to you and your team. So mm-hmm. what, is, what else does operational cadence include? Are you looking at territory mapping, quota settings, win-loss reviews? You know, you assume your team is very involved in QBRs and all of that. Just give us a full so, so view I think, window into RevOps. Absolutely. So I, I'll, I'll probably use a small framework in this as well. So if I think about, I think what most of the work that we do, there's, I would say three core buckets of work that we do, which is, let's say what I might call strategy, which is more longer term, more problem solving. And I'll come to some of the examples there. Second is more pure play operations, which is both systems and processes. Uh, Third for me is literally using data and insights to drive most of the first two, right? And then across the three pillars at the bottom, I would probably have enablement running across it. And I think yeah. that's probably a different conversation. A lot of companies have enablement as part of RevOps. We do. Yeah. And some companies don't. So if I think about those four buckets on the strategy piece, exactly to your point, like there is, there's elements around what should be the segmentation for a certain market. How do you think about, like you should be, in fact, a lot of companies in December right now might be thinking about the next year mm. as well. And what's your plan going to look like what's you mentioned quota setting you mentioned also all of that let's say overall financial year plan new year turn and all of that that goes into that bucket the operational pieces which is keeping the lights on you have you need you, you have salespeople. you've defined all of that in the first bucket you have x number of heads coming in you have y number of marketers how do you ensure there is a handoff in terms of both processes systems everything split out everything built out in a nice way so my team would spend a lot of time even on, I mentioned the talent piece underlying mm-hmm. that you hire joining you, somebody leaving, how do you manage that? If I think about the entire process and even things like there could be a marketing event we are doing and how, who are the priority accounts to bring in, how right. do you help, help rep steer? So all of that comes into that piece. Uh, quota management is definitely a, let's just say it's not one of the most fun jobs to do, but it needs to be done, especially when you're in a monthly payout cycle, ensuring it's yeah. accurate is probably the most crucial job. There are team and again, we have a phenomenal team. There's just two people who do it for all of Gong, and they're probably the best accuracy I've seen across my time in 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 code administration. 
And then on the piece on data and analytics, depending on the company and size, again, some smaller companies might start with Excel. You, you more start using things like, say, Tableau or, or more business intelligence tool. How do you use dashboards? And again, I think I'll go back to what I might have said in the beginning to, to Sean's point. There's so much data, but how do you define the right yeah. metric matter and use that? So that's, let's say, the overarching buckets on data that feed into everything you're doing, whether it's segmentation on segmentation decision strategy, what should the quota look like, and, and so on. And then across the entire piece, you need to have a very strong enablement team or enablement person. If you're in a startup, it could be the same person who's wearing both hats. But just being able to help the broader go-to-market team understand what you're gunning for, why, and how do you start not just measuring the fact that and I think a lot of people mistake enablement for just training, but not just yeah. mapping that training piece, but how do you help drive adoption of whatever you're doing and you're actually measuring outcomes based on whatever you've enabled the team on. So that's, I know, probably said a lot there, but there's some examples of what we focus on. Uh, uh, that all makes uh, good sense. We also had um, Nate Vogel on. Uh, oh, yes, great. So Loving it. Obviously, yeah. enablement, and he speaks very passionately about that. So I think we had a good chin bag uh, regarding enablement. Revop, so what's changing, Shantanu? You mentioned AI earlier. AI is creating a havoc in everything we're doing at the moment, especially tech scene. How is it impacting you directly mm -hmm. and your team? Got it. I think I'll go into the AI train as well, but I'll go into the AI on a second point. The first yeah. point I'll probably talk about is more on the software people side. I do believe a lot of people have talked about RevOps taking a seat at the table, depending on the company and the, and, and, and the size. But I believe we've now reached that point where RevOps actually has a seat at the table. And this is even more pronounced with the macroeconomic situation we've seen over the last couple of years. But I believe most RevOps leaders, whether it's in a smaller startup or a big company, mm. are, being, are taking more of a central role in company decisions and movement. I think that's been great to see where, whether it's part of the broader leadership team or even part of the revenue leadership team, they're, they're being a lot more central and vocal. And I think that's a change I'm happy to see. I've actually seen mm -hmm. in a couple of large companies, senior sales leaders have moved into RevOps roles even, right? So that's been a good mix. So a lot of, I would say, I don't use the word decision-making, but I think it's a lot more thought presence that the RevOps team as a, as a whole is having on the table, which is great. Yeah, I agree. And then the second piece, I'll go back to the, I think that's where we'll, we'll see more changes, I think, on the AI side. And I actually believe AI will be an ally for RevOps more than anyone else, because at, at the core of it, we try to drive efficiency and get more done from pure resources. So this is where AI really will, will come in. And again, if, if you map what AI is doing in terms of scaling pieces, but also helping get patterns from large data set, that's something which, and, and we've I've started seeing a few companies use AI quite smartly, especially a lot of our customers at Gong are, are, are doing that now. Mm. So I do think whether it's a process piece or helping in, in reporting, there's a lot of shift on using AI within RevOps. Any favorite use case that you've come across already? I know Amit and Udi and Co have been doing a lot of work in terms of evangelism yeah. on mm -hmm. social platform, but what's yes. been one of your favorite ones? So, so my, bit, like my whole social feed is just <laughs> gong people be like, uh, hey, mate. look at the gong guy. I'm not going to close this deal until next year. And here's why. And, it, and I find it amazing. Like I think it's 
one of the most powerful things you guys have built is that you have staff who will go and sing about things that you built and be willing to show, hey, I thought this deal was going to close in December. AI is telling me it's actually probably the next year and these are all the reasons why. And that was something I got frustrated with back in the day. Like everyone would always say, I'm going to close $30,000 this month. And you'd be like, sweet. And then you'd look at it at the end of the month and you'd be like, you close $4,000. Like, oh, yeah. It's great to see how I would almost say our employees have actually been really sharing their own experiences, including me on, on mm-hmm. LinkedIn. It's been great to see the effect that AI is now starting to have. So the example I'll probably take to Ricky's question on where I'm seeing AI really already come into the fore for RevOps is in forecasting. So I'm even shocked I didn't say forecasting until now on this call. <laughs> You're holding yourself back. Yeah. Building yourself but up to this moment. I think that's where I'm, I'm already seeing a lot of value from AI because if I think about it from a forecasting standpoint, and I call there's a top down, which is based on, let's say you're looking at your open pipeline, your number of deals in certain stages, your conversion rates at in historical stages and, and using that to drive a forecast. Now this, and again, AI is a very, is an umbrella term for different types. There's, there's what, what you might call generative AI, which became quite popular yeah, with yeah. GPT and, and so on. But there's also the more data-based pattern recognition based uh, AI models. If I think about that entire predictive analytics that come from uh, looking at the top-down metric, that's somewhere I've been using AI quite quite effectively in terms of just forecast. And then from the bottom up, it actually goes to Sean's other point where you're looking at each deal and the signals you're getting there. So now AI is actually able to give you signals at a deal level on whether it's going to actually happen or not. Is it likely to close this quarter or not? Is it say, even do you have the right people on the call? So there's so many different signals you're getting from AI, which you can then drive to have a bottom-up forecast. So that's where I've been probably using the using AI the most and just getting a a view on forecast, both holistically using top-down, but bottom-up for some of what I might call swing deals, which really will make mm. or break our forecast. Mm. Hey, I, I would love to get more tactical, but my brain, I feel like, is starting to get in hibernation mode. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to ask you regarding forecasting. What do you find most valuable when it comes to forecasting deals? Let's say mid-market. Mm. Let's use mid-market right. as opposed to enterprise deals. What buckets do you tend to use? Do you split them into three or five buckets? And what are those buckets that you prefer? If I think about the mid-market deals, and to an extent, let's say there's a decent volume of deals in your pipeline you're looking at the two or three things which to me are most important when you're looking at that forecast and and I'll I'll bring in AI into this as well but the first thing is just making sure you have enough pipe for whatever forecast you're calling and I know people talk about pipeline coverage which treats every dollar as a dollar there's probably ways to game that number but it's almost like a I don't know if that's more like something comforting to see yes okay I have enough pipeline that's that's step one right you have that okay but then you to your point on the second and third bucket, it's literally being able to almost have a view on what are your top 10% of deals in your in that number. And what percent if I, and, and again, in a true 80-20, typically most of the top 10% is almost like 50% of your number. And then being able to go deep into that, even in mid-market, because there's variations of how you cut the piece. And then third to me would be just what's changed in pipeline right? Week on week. And again, there's so many ways of getting a view on X deals went down, X, Y deals went up. But using that to just have a very clean sense of how your forecast is actually trending. So then, and then you combine those three buckets with literally what the AI is telling you. And typically AI is actually more accurate than what humans are obscene, but 
it's a good building it. I think. You see, my deals are the same deals. They just move for months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, massive pipeline. Yeah. Massive pipeline. Just huge slipping. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Just never closes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's awesome. And then, what are you most excited about, Shantanu? We've spoken about AI. We've spoken about people part. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about some of the stuff that's happening in Gong. But what is next twelve month or what is twenty twenty four shaping up to be like for you? I think the the most important thing I'm I'm really looking forward to, I what I believe will be a, a return back even if not to even if not back to the to the glory days of up and to the right, but at least yeah. m- much better macro climate. And I'm already seeing some signals of that this quarter, I think. So that's what I'm I'm probably very excited about, just having a much more cleaner year, similar to what we've seen in tech in the past, not necessarily the last four years, yeah. but before that. That's great to hear because you obviously are seeing a lot of data where you sit. So it's, it's positive outlook. It'll be great for the listeners. <clears throat> Last question from me, Shantanu. In terms of your tech stack or app stack, mm-hmm. what does that look like? What are some of your favorite tools in RevOps? So number one, obviously, no surprise, Gong. <laughs> yeah, of and, course. And I, yeah. I think about Gong now as, as more of an operating system across. Yes. I'm going to think of Gong as revenue operations OS, if I use that phrase. And... So then on top of that, what we use um, Salesforce for our CRM right now, uh, we have been using Gong for prospecting, Gong for custom, customer engagement as, as well as um, the actual forecasting piece as well as on Gong. Um, we have Gainsight today, or the <coughs> customer success teams mm-hmm. use. Our marketing team uses, I think, a thousand tools. No, I'm just joking. We have a fair few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, I, I, as a... In my day-to-day, I don't use too much of the marketing yeah, yeah. tools per se. We do have a marketing ops person who's managing lead routing. We then have Sixth Sense and Cognizant yeah. and a few other data orchestration pieces on accounts. We are, like most SaaS companies, using LinkedIn Sales Navigator for our SDRs and AEs as well. Yeah. And I think that's the core ones. And then we also, we've uh, recently started using Pigment for planning, which has been quite helpful from the quota management, headcount, capacity planning, and so on. And then, like most RevOps people, Google Sheets and Excel is my best friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Google Still. Sheets, swear <laughs> that. Yep. <laughs> Nothing these those. Is that what you do in the quota? You said the Pigment, is that's where the quota payouts and stuff are happening? So to? we're using that more for the quota capacity and okay. helping set up the plan on the sales compensation side there's a lot of tools which which in fact i've I've recently started advising a company called everstage i don't know if you've heard of them they're more on the sales compensation tool which is let's say exactly was the yeah large goliath in this space i think companies like everstage are coming in but what we're using big headcount plan awesome i'm gonna ask you my favorite question now shantano so when you do decide to retire or hang up your boots, as I like to. I think I use that's yeah, better. When you decide to hang up your boots, what do you want to be known for? Oh, that's good. I think when I do hang up my boots, I think I want to be known for making a difference in people's lives in some way. That's the way I think about it. And if I go back to my initial point around RevOps having a large 50% of our work is actually impacting people's uh, daily yeah. lives, I would love for all the people I've worked with over the last several years, and when I do retire, even more several years at that point, I would love for them to feel like I actually made a positive difference to their life. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I think Adam Grant, think again, is probably having a bit of an influence <laughs> over your thinking there. Absolutely. But I do yeah. like it. We'll move to a quick fly around. Shantan, these are pretty straightforward. So whatever comes to your mind first or your head, 
just drop cool. it. One answer. answer. You already had one, one answer. Yeah, no, I've been hard on this now. Ricky led a whole bunch of this, like two, three fucking, that's no, one thing. One thing. I know. I'm meant to be aggregating this data and we're meant to be doing some sort of poll result, but it's becoming quite hard because it's turned into a bit of a multiple. So we try and stick to one. Um, Got it. Favorite sports team? Indian cricket team. Easy. Did you guys win a World Cup recently? Oh, no, you yeah. lost this, right? Sorry. Well, we just yeah, lost not, the final. Come on, We lost the final to, to Australia, actually. Yeah. Oh, was it really? Australia won? No, I didn't uh, know that. It was a random, I guess. Uh, the beauty of editing. We don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to relive that again. Favorite music genre, Shantari. What do you go for? EDM. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? EDM's having a bit of a comeback yeah. here, Richie. I think they might yeah, be no. challenging your uh, hip-hop thing here. There I know. You go. I know. Anyway, let's move, keep it. <laughs> favorite, favorite movie of all time, Shantani? Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the middle one. The middle one. Yeah. I it still haven't seen any. People's Choice, yeah. yeah. Empire Strikes Back is the middle Star Wars. It's the best movie of all time, so it's That was a close second. Uh, what about favorite place to visit? Uh, the Maldives. I'm a big beach and sun. You wouldn't think of it given I'm in Ireland, but I love the beach and the sun. <laughs> We've been to Ireland many times. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen the sun. I've never seen the sun. I've never seen the sun there. Yeah, there um, you go. What about this one? So this is the main reason why we kicked off this podcast, right? This is definitely gone, right or wrong. Yeah. This has gone so right well on. so far. So I'm like, cool. Be like, yeah. confident you'll get this right. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. You're rooting for Shantanu here. Peanut butter. How do you like yours? Crunchy or smooth? Mine's crunchy. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think he's listened to a couple of episodes. I'll get, I'll get this impression. He's just... Oh, I, 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 I did not know. I did not know. No sane person says smooth, mate. It's clearly just... <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. Smooth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're with you. Thank you once again, Shadri, for coming on our show. And thanks for sharing your insights. It's been wonderful. That's awesome. Likewise, thank you so much for having me, Ricky and Sean. Really enjoyed the conversation and yeah, delighted to share.